Hi everyone, before we get into the episode today, I do just want to let you know that this episode discusses gendered violence and sexual assault, so if this is going to be difficult for you to listen to, we're putting support resources in the show notes. As always, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording our podcast on beautiful Gadigal land. It is where we live, it is where we work, it is where we experience our entire lives and it is a total privilege to do so. So thank you very much for having us. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Love Clues. This week, Lily and I are sitting down side by side because there's actually something, well there are a few things that we want to talk to you all about that have been born out of a recent experience I had on a date that I went on. We know that we're probably just in our, you know, echo chamber of the Clues community, that's you whoever you are listening, but we would really love it if this episode could extend beyond our immediate Clues family. So please, I definitely would encourage you all to send this episode to the men in your life, your fathers, your brothers, your friends, because we are going to try and share our perspective on a few concepts that, as it turns out, are still quite controversial. So... Thank you for joining us for this conversation. Let's bring everyone up to speed. Grace has, as you all know from this season, been back in the dating world or kind of in the dating world for the first time. I've been dipping my toe into the pool. And you have been using Hinge to go on dates with people that wouldn't normally be in your orbit, which can be really fun. But I did warn you that it's rough out here and that sometimes you just don't know what you're going to (laughs) get. Anyway, unfortunately, I feel like you got home from a date one night and told me about it and ended up having not a very good experience because the guy that you went on a date on kind of embroiled you in a long conversation about feminism, which is what we want to unpick today. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Clapping. Come on. They'll take my vow. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm dating. So basically, yes, I matched with this guy on Hinge. We didn't talk very much before the date, which I've actually heard is often the best thing to do because it's like you're either going to meet them in person or you're not. So just like, you know, cut out the chit chat and just go on the date. We did no chit chat. It was okay. like when he, I think which I took I that reply and, ran and say, yeah, you don't need to be constantly doing a back and forth about what's your favorite color, but do a little bit of screening. Yeah, I did none of that. I just <laughs> not that this is on you, but maybe just do a tiny little bit of screening if you can, just to get the vibe. So we meet at a really nice bar in Paddington, and you know we're just having a normal conversation for about an hour or so about you know, normal life and family and all the things. And then uh, we started talking about going to the gym. And I said, I think 
you know, it's really important for women to be strong. And he, you know, I meant in terms of like bone density and lifespan. <laughs> Just general <laughs> health. General health. I um, want to live for a long time. And I was like, you know, I think overall it's probably a good thing that, you know, this trend of promoting gym culture is now something that women can be a part of and that's kind of celebrated now. I think that's, you know, an all-round positive thing. And he said he thinks it's more important for men to be strong because the more physical challenges they face, the more mentally strong and better men they will be. And like, yeah, totally, 100%. So I said, well, you know, I think it's important for women to be strong in that way too. And he said men don't like masculine women. And so basically from there, we went into a whole conversation about gender, masculinity, feminism, and he had a lot to say along the lines of feminism has gone too far, men have less rights than women now, what is feminism fighting for anymore? Um, You know, women have it easy because all they have to worry about is being attractive, the whole lot. And he and I came from really, really, really polar opposite sides of the discussion. And I think what's interesting is that when I've told, when I've told my friends about this date, they're like, oh, you know, how did you not storm out? How did you, what did you do? Did you just leave? But I didn't. I was there for about four hours, which was a pretty long time. But, you know, it was the first time that I had really come into contact with someone who genuinely, you know, holds the beliefs that he does. And it's probably the same for him about me. So it, more than anything, it was kind of curiosity. And yeah, it stuck with me for a very long time. And we're going to be unpacking some of the points. And yeah, thank you for joining us. Hmm, it's going to be hard because I don't just want to talk at people and it's hard to talk about a conversation that happened with someone who's not in the room with us right now. I think it's the conversation in the room with you right now. <laughs> but the reason that Grace and I want to talk about this is because um, it actually kind of connects to a lot of other conversations that have happened in just my life recently, like with people in our extended family and with friends, like male friends of mine. I have a really laser focus on this subject because I like did my honours in sexual violence a couple of years ago and I've just started my PhD that's looking at gendered harm in cultural industries. So I'm already like super, super nerdy about this whole area. But I think the reason that we wanted to do a podcast about it is because um, Grace and I surround ourselves with people who have pretty similar views to us, I think. That's not always true, but I think. And I think the men in our lives are so beautiful, but especially when it comes to dating, because you are interacting with people on dating apps that are totally outside of your normal circle of friends. I do even find myself meeting guys where I'm like, wow, I just don't think our concept of you know, gender or equality or masculinity are really on the same page. And I think that it's cool to talk about in a way because it's just strange to be reminded that People with what we perceive as having really, really extreme views are like just, you know, you could bump into them, you could date them. They walk among us. Well, not they walk among us because it's not like an alien, you know, we don't want to like alienate people. Oh, God, it's so hard. Yeah. 
Well, it is hard. And I think um, as we go through a lot of the stuff that this guy said on your date, which you were really upset about, like you literally said this date traumatised you and you haven't really gone on any dates since. Like it actually did have an, have an impact on you and it wasn't a nice experience because you were sat across the table from someone who you thought you were going to go, you know, get to know and have a nice date with who actually ended up telling you that he thinks that you're not as worthy as him as a human being because you're a woman, right? That's a tough pill to swallow. Like, it's not you. nice. It's, it's not a nice experience. It's not nice. And I think a lot of the stuff that he was saying that you relayed to me that I have also talked about with a few of my male friends are these kind of ideas or arguments that I feel like as a woman or as a person who's done like a tiny, tiny little bit of research in this area can really easily talk through to understand And I think that as we go into this conversation, all I want to say is that I am not an expert academically. But Lily is about to be Dr. Lily Richardson. No, if I finish the UHD, I will have done a lot of social research on gender. But um, you do not have to be, you know, an academically minded person or like an expert in a subject to have an opinion on it at all. And I really think that when men engage in these conversations with women, they don't understand or they don't think about the lived experience that is coming from both sides of the conversation. Because when a man is talking about his concerns about, um, you know, gender or it's usually like the direction that the world is heading in, I don't really know if he's tapped into his own lived experience as a form of knowledge production in terms of like... If you're a man and you have an opinion on something, is that opinion coming from because you've felt genuinely oppressed in your life or because you've experienced some sort of violence or harm? Because for most women, that's probably where their opinion and worldview comes from, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. But also... Is your opinion – so that's like qualitative data, right, like mm. lived experiences, which every single human being has. That's mm-hmm. a, That is like a valid form of yes. knowledge production. Another form of knowledge production is like quantitative data, which Stats. is basically like cold, hard statistics. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of data in this world because it's the world is filled with a lot of human beings that can paint a picture of what the state of gender equality looks like, right? There's data points that we as a society draw our knowledge from and I think it's really hard to engage in a conversation with someone who's basically saying that these big academic or social research institutions are like lying to us or just wrong. Because mm. I do think obviously it's important to be skeptical of where knowledge comes from mm. because as a society, every academic and educational institution is built on, you know, capitalism or white supremacy, whatever. <laughs> the stats don't lie. And if you're going to bring a piece of information to a conversation that's just factually wrong, it's really hard to go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that going back to what you said about how I felt after that date, I think for men listening to this, we've had conversations with men in our lives and, you know, this guy on this date was talking about these concepts like they're kind of just interesting philosophical discussions and this guy was saying things like, oh, you know, oh, it's so, like, I think it's so cool that you have an opinion and, like, that is... It's like, oh, I don't have some cute little opinion. You're sitting here. This is what it – I want people to understand. This is what it feels like to be a woman who is hearing someone look her in the eye and tell her these things. It feels like someone is sitting you down and saying – and trying to tell you what to do with your life. It felt like he was saying, I've never met you before, but this is your place in the world – 
the only value you have comes from your body and your physical experience and your physical appearance. And you should just have no hopes or dreams. And on top of that, let's not forget, you and I are in the perfect position to talk about what it's like to be women because we come from a place where we are at the absolute top of the pile in terms of social capital and and privilege, right? Mm. So every challenge that we have faced that has been because of our gender is nothing. It it just pales in comparison to women of colour or women from low socioeconomic backgrounds or women with disability, you know, like we anything that any challenge we have faced in our life is just compounded tenfold for people who have those intersectional Absolutely. identities. So let's unpack some of the main things that came up in this conversation. I went home and I wrote dot points basically verbatim of what he had said because I was wanting to remember it for later because I knew I would need to like reflect on it and process it. So here are a few of the salient themes that came out of this conversation. And I just want to say one thing. All the points that this guy brought up um, on this date with Grace that he thought was a kind of interesting conversation about the state of the world are points that I've heard in every piece of research and every conversation that I've done about men's attitudes towards gender. Like it seems like there's a very, there's almost like a playbook that um, is read from. or something, yeah. So it's so interesting to me that none of these ideas were new to me. Like I really genuinely had heard everything that he was saying. Like mm-hmm. I'd heard it before in some, in one way or another, mm-hmm. um, just online or from people that I know. So I think it's good to go through because it really is a little, a little charcuterie board of Every- ideas <laughs> that a lot of, that resonates with a lot yeah. of guys. Yeah. So with the whole gym, you know, getting women wanting to be strong conversation, that's kind of where it started. And the first point he really made was the kind of biological point. So he was saying it's more important for men to be strong. Men and women are biologically different. Men, you know, in the hunter-gatherer times, men had to be strong to be hunters. And women naturally are more emotionally intelligent and nurturing because they had to be, you know, the gatherers and caring for the children. So he was basically saying, why do we want, like, why do we as women want to stop playing to our genetic strengths. And he basically used this point to say, how do you explain that societies all over the world formed separately before they could communicate to each other and they all just happened to land in a patriarchal structure? And then he said, because it works. Like that was his punchline. So (laughs) any thoughts? Maybe we should work, work backwards. We have time. We have time. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, my God. We're going to have a breakdown. You need to relax. This actually, this topic stresses me out so much. Oh, me too. I find it, I find it, it stresses me out. I am triggered right now. It stresses me out because when people bring up something quite zeitgeisty or buzzwordy like Andrew Tate in Mm. conversation and TikTok, there is so much to unravel that I almost can't I don't, even contribute. I don't know where, and I think this is the point. I thought we were so far past, uh, you know, the concepts that this guy was saying. These aren't fringe ideas. This is like, this is the this is the mainstream. I don't know. It's just like so. I think it's. I think it is. It is disappointing, but it's a good reminder. Like there was a UN Women study that came out 
oh, I probably read it last year. I don't know when it's from though, pretty recently. And it was about um, gender attitudes and how people perceive like gender roles in society. And it was from like a, Australia wasn't included, but it was from like a bunch of OECD countries and other countries. And it found that the group of people who have the most regressive views on gender roles are young men. Like that's just, that's like a cold hard fact the world over. That's so like depressing. you said, it, it these ideas are pretty mainstream, I think, for a lot of young guys. Anyway, so let's go back to his biological point. This guy is saying that the patriarchy works. Well, that's a pretty basic uh <laughs> that's, yeah, a, basic. that's a pretty basic idea that has a pretty basic response of like, does it work? You know? Who are you to say if it works? Well, or not? it's the classic you know, you can find this in any comment on any Instagram post. Well, every single world war was started by a man. So, you know, a lot of the problems that we face in society come from mm. because we're, it's, we live in this, you know, Bell Hooks describes as a white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. Okay. So does the patriarchy work? I don't know. Men's mental health is in a crisis and Women are very much victims of violence all the time from men. So and I think that's such a good point that it turns out the patriarchy doesn't serve men either. The point of, so we've got the point of the patriarchy works. Well, not, it doesn't really because it doesn't really serve individual men, the growth, the emotional well-being of individual men mm-hmm. or the physical and emotional health and well-being of women doesn't really serve them that well. Not to mention anyone who falls outside of the gender binary, right? And then if we're going backwards, okay, so he's saying in hunter-gatherer or nomadic societies. I remember when I told you about what he'd said about the whole hunter-gatherer. When I told you about that point he made, you said something really good, which was we're not trying to deny that men and women are biologically different. Of course we are. But the reality is society is evolving and that's a good thing like society is progressing to try and make life more enjoyable for everyone just because something has been one way for a very long time why does that mean that it's the way it should always be totally and I I think that guys use the biological argument a lot maybe without really drawing a line as to when human culture as we know it has started or where we're going to start drawing comparisons from. Because if you're saying like, okay, why don't we all live in like the social structures or the cultural roles that we did when we were like hunter-gatherer or nomadic societies? Yeah, that's what he's saying. He's basically saying, what was wrong with that? That worked perfectly. I mean, again, it's just like the most logical response seems to be, well, we don't live in a hunter-gatherer society anymore. And also, I think that the way that you told me the story was he seemed to say that patriarchal structure had always existed or something? Yeah, so he, he made the point of like where he, he put to me this question and he said, how do you explain that before countries could all talk to each other, I don't know, before telephones I guess he meant. Okay, because I have a question. Was he saying that post, so in human anthropological history, yeah. as most people probably know, uh, human societies, or it wasn't society, but it was like cultures. communities, groups, cultures yeah. were semi-nomadic or nomadic and lived in these hunter-gatherer mm. kind of way. Yes. That was went on for about like whatever it is, 80,000 mm. years or something. And then agricultural society was only formed about like ten to 12,000 years ago, I think. And I'm pretty sure patriarchal societies emerged about like 5,000 years ago in Mesopotamia. 
That's a bit nerdy. Really? But, I didn't know that. So I think... Where's Mesopotamia? I think it's kind of where Iran is now, like okay. maybe Middle East. Well, I just don't think that this point is doing us many favours because the fact of the matter is men and women, and we're just going to talk about the gender binary here, yeah. men and women are biologically different. That doesn't mean, in fact, it's wrong to assume that hunter-gatherer cultures or communities were patriarchal. That's not true. Mm. Agricultural societies became patriarchal mm. um, for like a whole variety of reasons. But the biological differences doesn't mean that because men are physically stronger than women, that women should be dominated mm. emotionally, financially, physically, mentally, like for the rest of human history. Which I- Because hunter-gatherer societies or hunter-gatherer cultures were symbiotic. As in they had to give and take in a, in a positive way. There was balance. Yeah. And the only thing maybe we could say about the biological difference is that I would never deny that men and women are biologically different. Our bodies do different things and they have different strengths and weaknesses, right? But in terms of human flourishing and how a man and a woman is going to live their everyday life in contemporary societies and be a happy, healthy, thriving human being, I don't think it's constructive to try and limit our physical and emotional worlds to how they were 10,000 or even you know, pre-agricultural hunter-gatherer times like 80,000 years ago. It just, if that's really truly what he thinks, I don't know, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense and I'm sorry, but that is not a growth mindset, if you ask me. (laughs) That is not. Yeah. Like onwards and upwards, let's go. Anyway, so to his point, I do think we have to accept that every single concept, idea, biological organism is going to be as a result of evolution. Like everything you can, you know, technology, Mm. everything we see around us has evolved. Mm -hmm. That's like a fact of, it's a deep fact of the universe. So why are humans the one thing that should be stuck in time? So I think the way that we have formed cultures and societies has, has evolved and I just think we can leave it at, look at the world that we live in now and think about how we can make human suffering minimal and human thriving like maximal (laughs) or maximum and think about is making women feel like they should be weak and men should not be emotional, is that a constructive way to do that? Probably not. Love it. Okay, so the another point that he made was he said he wants equality, in quotation marks, but he thinks that feminism has gone too far. He said men now have fewer rights than women. What are we fighting for anymore? Women technically have the same rights as men now. And, yeah, in the moment I said exactly what you said before, which is, you know, I am aware that I am a privileged white woman and you know so are you like we're at the we're at the top of the pyramid in terms of the effects the patriarchy has on us compared to other women in other parts of the world so that's one thing this man said feminism has gone too far yeah i've heard this argument or this point many many times mm -hmm. and i think that maybe humans have a short-term memory when it comes to our own history because let's not forget that feminism as a social movement emerged as a response to a violent and oppressive regime 
that affected women for generations, like generations, in terms of like everything you can possibly think of, like intimate partner violence and family violence and women's health care, you know. What's it called? Intermarital rape? Is that what it was called? Well, that wasn't even a concept until, that wasn't even legally enshrined until like the 1970s, I think, like, maybe the 50s. Anyway, that's insane, yeah. Femi- so feminism emerged as a way to combat the oppression. As a way to make, as a way, as like an avenue for women to be able to be human beings on the same level as men, right? Mm. So when we say feminism has gone too far, well, this is when I like to bring like the cold hard stats into it because it's the classic thing of like one woman a week in Australia dies because of domestic violence. That's in Australia. And it's so, it's so horrible. And, you know, you put a million trigger warnings on this episode because it's going to make you think about how every single woman that you know, like the stats say it's 90%, but it's probably more, has experienced like sexual harm or gendered harm. That's not even, that's not even assault or violence. Like those stats are massive. And so they are for men as well. You know what I mean? So when you say feminism has gone too far, it's like, okay, well, look across the world to the states where the rights to abortion have just been stripped away once again. Look to Afghanistan where the Taliban is back with a vengeance and now women can't go to university. Like all the rights that feminism has fought for and feminism really fought for human rights for women, that doesn't mean that social attitudes have changed to a point where now that is all set in stone forever. Like that can still be taken away. And so I think that the feminism has gone too far point, like on a lived experience level, isn't true. Because if feminism had gone too far, then I wouldn't have experienced sexual violence in my lifetime. Like I'm 27 years old, you know. Feminism was way in its second wave by the 90s. And it's like if feminism had gone too far, then that would mean that men had faced the generational oppression that women have for thousands of years. In my, and I really hope that if the pendulum keeps swinging towards equality and women are given more social capital and more power, that we won't take it to a point where we then emotionally and physically and mentally and financially oppress men to the point where they face intergenerational trauma. Like, that's when it would have gone too far. Yeah. Like, let's not do that. But I, you know, I think that this guy feels that it is, it is getting really close to that point. And yes, it's the, that is his, that is his lived, you know, experience, or at least the perception that he has of his own reality. And I think it's just really challenging when you're a woman who has, yeah, been sexually assaulted or, you know, faced the countless the countless items of oppression on the list of the patriarchy to, yeah, to try and understand someone who feels that way because it's just, I mean, it's just fact, like it's fact, it's literally incorrect. Like it's just incorrect. incorrect. And I think that... We are in a really interesting time and, like, we've talked about this a lot together where it's like, wow, I we understand it probably is a pretty, you know, challenging time for men, particularly young men, where their social identity and their, so, and their path in life has been so clear for a very long time because of traditional gender roles, right? And I understand that we are now living 
in a social era where all of those black and white concepts about gender roles have been thrown up into the air and we're all watching to see how the pieces are going to form on the floor, right? But I think that instead of looking at that as some terrible crime against humanity, men particularly need to realise this is an amazing opportunity. The way that we're all going to be able to live empowered, liberated, free lives as whoever we want to be is to just let go of the traditional gender roles. It's Yeah. I listened to an amazing podcast the other day. Um, I'll try and put the links. (laughs) I'll try and put the links in the show notes. Um, And it was like an anthropologist talking about how uh, human societies, as we know it, have always negotiated what gender means Mm. in their cultures or societies. You know, what a gender role is going to be? Is there more than one gender? What's What's happening in society? And I think that Maybe men feel like these ideas are so, so, so new. It probably goes into like social media and how ideas are disseminated now. But culture negotiating with gender is not a new concept, right? It's just that I think maybe the change and like in a post Me Too world and everything has been so exponential recently that it feels like the acceleration is a bit of a shock or something. And I totally get to, I'm like, oh my God, it would be. I I get it. It would be really, yeah, it would be really strange. And, you know, with uncertainty comes fear. And if people are feeling uncertain about but their I don't, place in I the world. But I think if this is a podcast for men, I don't think that they want to be told that they're scared because that goes against traditional ideas of what how a man should feel. Oh, that is so men true. Ca- men have to be brave and men shouldn't yeah. be scared of anything. So, of course, you're probably not going internally and thinking, oh, why do I feel so threatened by this quote-unquote new direction of gender equality, you're probably not thinking, oh, it's because I'm actually scared. Yeah. And I think that that's okay. You can you can just be unsure about what's going on. But I think, like, understanding social history and where feminism has come from is really helpful to contextualise, like, oh, my God, the laundry list of just, like, diabolical violence and oppression that women have faced so, so in such recent human history is mm. just... So stunning to me. And the fact that, I don't know, I just think that men don't engage with that very much. Mm. I don't think they sit with it and try and feel it. All right, another point he made was, he made the classic point of, he said, men work for everything they earn. Men are working 18-hour days and work harder than than women. And I said, well, what woman in your life doesn't want to work as hard as a man? And he said, all of them. They don't want to. So I just wanted to slot this point in here to tell you that is not true. You cannot generalise all women in that way. I really hope I don't have to explain to you why that is a baseless, baseless idea, which is just straight up incorrect. I'm going to just pray you do a bit of research on that. I don't think that's kind of even that attitude is reductionist and it's so hard for us to crack open our... Minds, because a point like that 
touches on such a deep idea about, if we're talking about feminism, like are you a radical or a liberal feminist, for example? Like do you believe that women mm-hmm. should, that women's equality should be kind of injected into the same social structure that exists right now? Or do you feel like we should dismantle existing structures and rebuild new ones, right? And so if this guy's feeling like, men or women don't want to work as hard as men. It's like, okay, he's actually engaging with this like idea about capitalism and how it rules all of our lives. And this like, you know, hustle mentality that we live in, especially in the Western world where we feel like we have to work so hard all our lives to accumulate, you know, status and wealth. And that's hard to do when you're like trying to raise a family and, you know, maybe a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of countries haven't nailed their like parental leave or parental support programs. Like he's really touching on these deep social ideas about like, wow, yeah, you know, how can we make a society where everyone doesn't have to work really, really hard their whole lives and then never see their families and then only enjoy it when they retire? Like Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes ideas that seem so inflammatory can actually kind of be traced back to the same worries and fears that we all have as human beings. Does that make sense? Also, when he's saying that men work for everything they earn, I mean the gender pay gap is a well-documented phenomenon where women... That he does not believe in. Of course not. But that's okay. That's a pretty... I mean, it's a a concept that's easy to understand once you maybe like just read it on a piece of paper and be like, oh, okay, this is real. I try. I to think it's globally it sits at like thirteen percent at the moment or something. Anyway, the pay gap is talking about society as a whole. Think about all the little structures that make it so that women, as a whole, have less financial capacity and earn less than men. So there's a classic example of like women are less likely to be CEOs yeah. or whatever. Um, but Being high powered and high uh, paying uh, less roles. Like, yeah, so that's like a big contributor because then if more men are in higher paying roles, that means men mm-hmm. earn more as a whole. But then women are also more likely to be in underpaid roles, like um, in female-dominated industries like teaching and nursing and childcare. All the care, and classic kind of care roles. Yeah. yeah, and then, of course, women's careers are more likely to be disrupted by if they get pregnant, if they have kids, if they have to take time off to, like, you know, raise young children or whatever. So there's, like, a few different factors that make it so that men across their lives have more of an uninterrupted capacity to earn more money and women's are more interrupted and they face barriers to earning, Right. So that's like as a whole, that's what the gender pay gap basically is, mm-hmm. right? And I think a key piece that this particular man was missing was I explained all of this to him and I said, well, women have been oppressed, men have been privileged. That essentially is the pay gap. So privileged men are more likely to go into higher paying roles, oppressed women have less of a chance, you know. And he was saying, well, no, that's not true because men work for everything they earn. So that's where that kind of argument came in. And I think what he didn't understand was how the centuries worth of oppression that women have faced still exists in the modern workplace. Because I think what he was saying is, oh, but, you know, women can drive now and women can vote. What's the problem? And I don't think he understands how it feels to, you know, be at work and a man will talk over the top of you. It's like all these tiny micro experiences that men don't have. I think maybe what the connection is that there's a difference between like social policy and say um, 
like ideas that are legislated, like legal, like law and rights that are really written into law, right? Mm. A difference between that and like social attitudes. So you can say, okay, um, yes, now women are allowed to work and that means that they can become a pilot, right? Mm -hmm. But there's been so many studies of like, if you say to someone, picture a pilot, they'll picture a man. Like it's about unconscious bias. It's about social attitudes. Picture a surgeon. You picture a man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's, you know, every single day you operate in a world that mm-hmm. has is full of these biases towards all sorts of things, you mm-hmm. know, ability and race and gender and class. Of course, of course. And, yeah, gender is only one of those things. But this world is, has you know, has been founded on a backdrop of women being oppressed and not being taken seriously and seen as weak, you know, and not having a lot to offer. So like women, do you think that, yeah, if I you just, put in the legislation that women can drive overnight, everyone's going to think, oh, okay, I'm going to see you as more than just a pair of childbearing hips now? No. Honestly, because even sometimes I wish men would think about how it would feel to be a little girl, to grow up into being a young woman in 2023 mm-hmm. and to look at even the past 200 years of colonised Australia and be like, wow, we've had one female prime minister. Like in our society, 51% of people are women and, you know, whatever it is, 49% men and there's non-binary people, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a pretty equal society in terms of men and women. And one woman has been the Australian prime minister. Like, isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Isn't that just, it, like, it makes no sense. So the next, another point he made was women are needed in the household, divorce rates are up, child rates are going down, girls are the ones initiating breakups, all these kind of ideas that where he was basically painting a really bleak future. And he was, you know, pretty, he was passionate about it. He was like, oh, my God, this all this stuff is happening that paint a bleak future. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, what are you afraid of? And he was, you know, kind of taken aback. And I was like, whatever his name was, sir, what are you afraid? I was like, are you scared that the world is going to go extinct? Like, what's the... What's the problem with all of that stuff? Yes, which I think is a really important question we should all ask ourselves about where our opinions come from. Like, what is motivating my opinion of the world? Yes. I'm like, I understand understand what you're saying, but why? Why do you care that girls are the ones initiating breakups? Oh, my gosh. That's that's so interesting, Grace, because to flip it on us, in the car on the way over here when I was driving to record this podcast, I thought, gosh, why do I even care so much about feminism or about gender equality and all that kind of stuff? Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, it's because I just, oh, if I could click my fingers and make it so that no woman or little girl or just, you know, woman living in the world ever, 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 ever has to feel, you know, that sense of like, powerlessness that comes from like gendered harm or sexual violence or sexual assault oh my god I would do it overnight right and if I could click my fingers and make it so that every single man knew the like joy and depth of being connected to their emotions and be able to communicate it to their friends and people that they love oh my god I would do that like I would give anything I would literally give anything to be able to wrap the world in that blanket overnight Mm. 
And so when I think about a guy who has all of these opinions, that same question comes up. It's like, what, if you could click your fingers and make the change that you want in the world, like, what would it be? And what would be the result of that? Yeah. And what would be the reason? Uh, Well, I think for him, he, so I said, what are you afraid of? He said he's afraid people will end up alone without a family to support them, which is the most important thing. And this was kind of tied to this whole idea he had about women's dating pool is small because they only date, quote, unquote, above. Men's dating pool is huge. Men will date any woman as long as they're attractive, whereas men also need to be, you know, successful and funny and and popular and, and attractive and, you know, all these other things. So, like, women have it so easy... And they're kicking up a fuss and they're all, you know, breaking up with their boyfriends and no one's going to have kids anymore and then they'll die old and alone without anyone to support them. Let's just take it. Okay, so this is a classic kind of incel worry about the dating upwards thing and it's mm. a whole concept of I'd the women. I'd never heard of that before. Oh, it's a classic, you know, the women only dating the alpha men and then all the other men, like you said, end up lonely and everything. And I think this is an example where men get so obsessed with gender beyond the point of everyone just being people. And I'm not the kind of person to say, everyone's a human being, I don't even see race, I don't even see gender, Mm. because that's not true, because with everyone's identity comes a whole history and a whole story, right, of generations of how that's unfolded. But sometimes I'm like, well, you know, would you want to date someone that you don't like or that doesn't share your values or that you're not attracted to or that, yeah, even even, they don't have to be horribly abusive. It's like, what if you just don't, what what if they're not right for you? As people, do we not just want to date and marry and fall in love and be in relationships with people that we like and love? Like I just, I don't know, the whole, yeah, the whole women only dating alphas and everything. I'm like, well, I don't know. I I just want to date people that I get along with or that challenge me or that I have the same values as or that I'm attracted to. It's not that complicated. There's, I don't think there's a conspiracy really against men. I think that's more of a human element of, you know, it's, I don't know, it takes all the romance and the joy when you look at relationships that way. Like, doesn't he want to fall in love with somebody that is like, you know, his soul connection, if you're talking about love and monogamy. That's the thing. I don't, I I can't answer that question for him. He's not here. But I, from the impression I got from him, I'm not sure if that is what he's looking for. And that's also fine. People marry people for all sorts of reasons. Money, love, lust, drama, what, I don't know, whatever else. That's fine. Do your thing. But he's trying to impose his values on everyone. Yeah, and that's which not, is strange. I don't that's know. not fair. And I think that the way that he was talking about all these concepts is it's like he says everything, we gotta do this for the greater good, right? People just need to knuckle down. Women have to be women in the household. They need to sacrifice their careers. You just gotta do what's right for humanity, right? And I'm like, well, humanity is not a homogenous group of people. Humanity everyone has different joys and stories and experiences that make them who they are and things they want and things they hate and things they like, how how could you possibly prescribe a life path to the same life path to every single person? And why would you want to do that? 
Yeah, Who and is I that think going to serve? Also, just picking up on what you said about the classy example of, um, you know, women should take care of the household and men should go out and work and everything. When I look at that and I look at a man and a woman's life trying to forge a family in that traditional sense, which kind of emerged from when people started to work in offices and, yeah. you know, the woman stayed home and the man the went to work. Money, so that yeah. kind of made the – it was supposed to like – Yeah. That is a terrible system whereby one person, traditionally the woman, does all the housework and raises the children and the other person, a man, goes out away from the family and works all day. That's terrible. What? So as a man, don't you want to see your family and be involved in your kids' childhoods? I don't know. It's sort of like the whole point of feminism is actually going to benefit men in that way, specifically when we're talking about the home, because the concept of equality is exactly how it sounds like it's supposed to be an equal partnership if we're talking about you know a monogamous loving relationship of marriage or whatever so I'm like this is a great plan for men because what if what if men and women got to work and also you know parental leave and support was awesome so that meant that both could also support their families and you know that sounds great to me honestly sounds awesome So another thing he said was, this ties into the whole incel thing. I think that's what it means. You know, he was like one in three men or that might not have been in the sticker. It was something like one in three or one in five or one in two, somewhere in that ballpark. One in three men in the US haven't had sex for the past two years. They're all sitting in their basements because all of a sudden women aren't giving them a chance. He said, when I asked what he was afraid of, he was like, I'm not afraid for myself. I'm afraid, like I'm worried about all these other men out there who women aren't giving a chance to and women aren't sleeping with. Can't believe we even have to explain this. Yeah. But it's like this guy well, was the literally counter, saying the that. Well, the counter to the incel thing is just goes back to why don't we think about women as human beings? Why do I owe sex to anybody? You don't. I don't. Nobody does. It's unfair. Yeah. Sex is supposed to be a joyous, you know, transcendent human experience. Or it can be whatever it is to Mm. you, but you don't have to have it with anybody. That's the whole point. It's literally the whole point. Oh, it's so basic. I I hate even talking about this. It actually drives me insane. Like, what do you mean? Like, what is he? I think the reason why this conversation has been... I've honestly found it really hard to do this podcast record. Normally I feel, you know, really... I'm sweating bullets. I'm so stressed out <laughs> Seriously. Normally I feel pretty... <clears throat> oh my God. Women burp, okay? <laughs> Get over Normalized it. burping. Um, normally I feel pretty relaxed and organic and like I don't have to think too much before I speak, which could be a bad thing. But this podcast episode has just been so difficult to even be able to make a sentence with words like a human because it's so draining to have to explain really simple concepts. And I remember when this conversation started with the guy that I was on the date with, I said to him like, wow, sir, I'm just calling him sir for for the purposes of this. Wow, sir, I just feel like this conversation is so basic. Like I just said, I can't believe we're talking about this because I said, you know, what about the pay gap? What about the patriarchy? And he's going, what pay gap? What patriarchy? And I'm like, like you said before, this isn't made up concepts that I'm just, this isn't just pointless words I'm throwing into a conversation to rile people up. This is terms we have 
to reflect the statistical reality of women's experiences in the world. And I'm like, this is so basic. I can't believe I have to explain this. But well, this is how I feel. I find it hard to talk about, number one, because I'm a fledgling academic and I'm at the very, 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 very start of my research journey and everything I talk about in this sphere, there are people way smarter and more experienced than me who have done so much social research that understand these concepts, right? And I don't ever want to say anything that can be misconstrued because when men say something like, well, women have equal rights now, that seems like a simple statement that might be factually true. But underneath it lies just like layers and layers and layers and layers. Just layers, right? Of what? And of everything. Of lies. <laughs> well, no, layers and layers of, okay, if we're talking about, basically, it's hard to talk about parental leave without talking about the way the work system is set up. It's hard to talk about the way the work system is set up without patriarchy. It's hard to talk about patriarchy without talking about capitalism. It's like, you know, I feel like you pull one little thread and everything unravels because it's all connected. What really interests me about the conversation you had with this guy was a point that you said he brought up about feminism being um, an agenda orchestrated by the banks or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he said, um, he started it by saying, I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist if I say this. You know, like three hours deep into this conversation, I'm clutching my wine like my life depends on it, just in my lap. We're sitting at the bar also, so I'm very interested to know what the bartenders would have thought. He said, I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist if I say this. And I said, try me. And he said, feminism is an agenda created by the banks so that they could tax both sides of the household. That statement to me is interesting because on the one hand... It's not true because feminism is a social movement, like we've talked about, the origins of which can be traced back to, you know, first wave of feminism mm -hmm. that happened for a reason. So feminism is a thing, right? But I think that people maybe who question the structure of the world, like he's talking about taxing both sides of the household, something to do with banks, right? It seems a bit conspiratorial. But I am like, well, you know, there is truth in questioning like the value of us all being indoctrinated into mm. a capitalist society. Mm. That seems very tinfoil hat, but it's true. Like it's mm. the classic meme of we live in a society. We do. And that society in Australia or in the Western world is a capitalist one. And like that's a pretty interesting concept to me to think about, mm. right? I just don't know why it has to be conflated with demonizing women or with with vilifying feminism. You might have an issue with the structure of the world and feminism is a tool that helps explore that. Feminism is not upholding certain structures that it's actually trying to dismantle those structures. He, feminism is trying to dismantle structures. I think what he is trying to say is that feminism is just a Trojan horse and inside is the Monopoly man. Yeah, totally. Do you know what I mean? I, and and I get that. Like, and I'm that's like, that's not what it is, though. That's lit. I to me, I'm like, that's just for. However, I'm not sure if this person has put that much effort into understanding what feminism is. But I'm just like, that's maybe just a misunderstanding of the concept, which is okay. And I think that you're allowed to get stuff wrong. You are. You're totally allowed. We encourage you to realize that. You and I think that people in these spaces who have to live with a marginalized identity every single day get quite exhausted about having to explain 
what we think a basic concept like this over and over and over to people, right? Not only basic concepts, but basic truths. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point. Like these are pretty um, this isn't inarguable some, yeah, realities, this is right? This just the facts. And I think, I don't know, I just try and be a person, like I said, because we do come from so much luck and privilege. I try and be a person who has enough bandwidth to explain it to people. And it is, it is really hard because, like you said, it's not, these aren't abstract concepts. These relate to our lives. They do. So basically, let's just recap. Feminism is in fact a social movement. It's not an agenda created by the monopoly man. That's all we have to say about that. And let's not forget the early suffragettes for all their failings of excluding black women. There's a whole history about that. Mm. But, you know, women were fighting for the right to vote like to vote, to participate in democracy. That's how deeply entrenched these ideas around gender roles are to the point where this wasn't, this was not 2000 years ago. This is like in very recent generational memory, like women as human beings were not allowed to participate in society in that way. And I re- I don't know, I just think that people get disconnected from how recent that reality was. Yeah. So another thing this man said to me, which was, really quite wild. He was on a date with me, right? We were on a date. Well, I think it had stopped being a date a while ago in my mind. Another thing this man said to me was girls' prime attractiveness is between the ages of 20 and 24. Hi, he asked me, how many single 34-year-olds do you know? The problem is women are focusing on their careers and sacrificing looking for a partner and having a family. And then he kind of tied it into this whole thing about, you know, women are basically ageing out of the dating pool after the age of 24 and they're sacrificing having families and finding relationships for pursuing a career. There's a lot to unpack there. I said, okay, so I'm 24. So are you saying that by next year I'm going to be obsolete? What happens if I don't work on my career and I don't find a partner? Is all I have to offer my attractiveness? And, you know, the backbone of that whole idea, there's so much tied into it. But one, okay, what if you get older and you don't find a partner and you don't pursue a career? Then you have nothing. So it's like, what do you suggest what do you suggest that those women do? It's called financial independence. And second of all, an idea or a conversation or a point like that also just is basically trying to say that women's only value comes from their attractiveness. This guy sitting across from me on a date looked you in the eyes and said that he believes that women's peak attractiveness is when they are around about 24, right? which kind of leaves this gulf where you have to fill in the gaps and then think, okay, well, that probably means he thinks that I'm kind of on an attractive decline after that age and that that maybe he's placing a lot of value as a human being, as me being a human being, on my attractiveness, Mm. right? And, like, how does that feel for you? It doesn't feel good because men are allowed to age and still be attractive their whole life and have that kind of as an arrow in their quiver, Mm. right, as who they are as people, Whereas him saying that to you is just a reflection of truly what it feels like to be a woman. Like I'm 27 and I am genuinely stressed about 
the wrinkles that I'm getting and mm. how my body doesn't look the way that it did when it was 17. Mm. And the reason that I'm stressed is because I feel like I'll lose my value and my relevance as a human being when I'm not like as young and attractive anymore. In a society that has told you or has programmed you to, to think that the only thing you have to offer yeah. is your body and your attractiveness. So even when a man expresses his opinion to you, right, it's just that's such a rude thing to say. It is rude. But I don't think he perceives that as rude. I think no. he perceives that as just a fact. He does perceive it as a fact. And I think that's <clears throat> he doesn't realise that that's actually a social construct. Yeah, totally. He was looking at this point in a really interesting way. He was saying women have it so easy. All they need to worry about is being attractive. Okay. Men, on the other hand, have to be attractive they have to be successful, they have to be wealthy, they have to be funny, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I said, okay, well, that's one way to look at it. How about you look at it this way? Women have one category from which they can draw all of their social capital based off what you're saying, which is their physical appearance. That's the only value they have. Men have a whole bunch of different categories that they can draw social capital from, which are all the things you mentioned, like their career, their personality, their social circle, their appearance. They've got loads of things to draw. You're trying to boil down my worth. He's looking at me and he, he wouldn't realise that that's rude, but he's looking me in the eye and he's saying, next year you, you've got, looking at the clock, you've got 12 months to find your lifelong partner because you're very quickly going to become a haggard old cow and no one is going to love you. That's what I heard from that conversation. And that doesn't feel good. No. And kind of like what I said at the start of the episode, a lot of the opinions that I'm hearing that this guy had are from a certain internet-y kind of playbook of of men's solutions to these perceived contemporary problems, right? And I think what's been lost in a lot of the role models and kind of figures that men turn to for leadership and the kind of like big thinkers that men turn to in this space, I think that they have kind of lost the ability to communicate women's humanity and I think a lot of the times when I speak to guys who I even think are pretty switched on about gender, like what we're talking about today, I don't think they, I really truly believe they don't bring empathy to the table in a way that sees women as having the same depth and emotional world that men have which is really weird, but I just don't think that society is set up to portray women in that way. Which is so bizarre because by the same token, we're the ones who are raised to be nurturing in touch with our feelings and, and, know, honestly, and caring because all of that serves men, right? But I was going to say, sometimes I even find myself playing into the idea that men don't know how to express their emotions as much or aren't as in touch with their inner worlds and so I kind of like write them off as not being emotionally intelligent. When they, Of course they can be, but I'm saying that like even I have gender biases that really genuinely do play into my life. But, you know, I think the interesting thing is, yes, of course they can be emotionally switched on, but I think the patriarchy and our society, and not I think, this is just a fact, 
that's not encouraged. Those skills no, aren't valued not. in men. And it's like you were saying before, if you could gift every man, you know, the feeling of being able to be vulnerable with their friends or however you phrased it. Vulnerability and emotional depth is a beautiful experience that men are left out of. You know, they get the they oh, get the short heart. They get the short side oh of the Oh my gosh. Well. Think about Grace when we went down the coast recently and a few of our parents like old uh college friends were there who mm. are kind of like, you know, our aunties and uncles we grew up with them. Mm. Or we grew up with them in our lives and we were having <clears throat> like a conversation as adults with two of the dads, like two of yeah. the older guys, you know, they're probably in their 50s. Mm. Like some of dad's friends who we absolutely love. They're like family. And they were, we were kind of like talking about some really tough times that their families had gone through and we were just like having this chat. And then you and I said to them, like, oh, man, we get worried about men from your generation. Like we were kind of laughing because we were like, oh, my God, like what, do you, like what do you do with all of these feelings and everything that you're going through when you haven't been taught to have an outlet? Because they were laughing about how they, you know, bring the conversation back to footy and they just like bottle it down, bottle it down or, you know, they've only kind of started to think about how they like keep their cup filled and, mm. you know, how they can kind of start examining their inner world. And I was like, wow, you're only just starting to think about these things and you're deeply, deeply, you know, into middle age, it breaks my heart because I'm like, oh, my God, how do you not just want to explode? How? And the crazy thing is lots of men do explode through yeah. violence or yeah. self-destructive behaviours. Yeah. That is so part of the reason that men are the most violent people in society. And something that is so crazy is that men perpetrate violence towards other men and men perpetrate violence towards children and men perpetrate violence towards women. Mm. Like men hurt everybody and the people who are most likely to be in like physically violent situations are men because of other men. Mm -hmm. So it's like this entrapment of, of violence and destruction that the patriarchy, which is this, you know, system of male domination, that's what keeps perpetuating. The thing that I found most interesting recently is that the patriarchy has become this buzzword that a lot of people engage with, right? Mm. But I don't think we're ever really taught about where it actually comes from. Just like every phenomenon in society, it has emerged throughout history in a particular way, right? And I just think it's really interesting to think about human society and where we come from and how the patriarchy hasn't always been how humans have functioned as in terms of in a in a good way I'm like there have been alternative ways that societies and communities have been structured right for long periods of time like what we were talking about you know nomadic people and hunter-gatherers didn't necessarily live in patriarchal societies and that emerged with agricultural like communities, whatever. So I just think it's really interesting that, um, you know, we get so bogged down in like, well, this is just the way things have always been. Like the guy said, maybe it's this way for a reason because we have to play to our gendered strengths. And I'm like, no, it hasn't always been that way. Mm. And in fact, we don't even really know what a contemporary world would look like that's not a patriarchy. We don't even know what it would be like to have, you know, 50% of parliament be women. What would those decisions look like? They'd probably be more peaceful. They'd probably be 
more emotionally intelligent. They'd probably enrich humanity. And it makes me so sad that we're losing out on literally making the world a better place for everyone by cutting so much of the human experience out of the story. Making. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Decision making. He said it himself. You can't deny our biological differences. Men are strong. Women are emotionally intelligent. And I said, okay, well, then well, let's have both. Strength. Let's have both that and use sounds both great. to our advantage. Sure. So the next morning, obviously we went our separate ways at the end of the night. The next morning he texted me and he said something like, oh, how's your morning been, you crazy feminist? Like as, a, like as if it was some little inside joke. And I was like, wow, okay. So the conversation we had last night, was not a deal breaker for him. And it comes back to what I was saying about how it's such, like that is such a privilege for a conversation like that to just be an interesting thought experiment for a man. Whereas for me, we're talking about concepts. We're talking about like how much freedom I should be allowed to have as a woman. So it wasn't a deal breaker for him. He sent me to this text and I said... I told him how I felt in just non-heated language referred to him to some resources. Then he replied to me saying, oh, you know, you know, I totally understand. No worries. Um, and I would really recommend that you listen to this podcast, this like anti-feminist podcast that he listens to. And he said, but just to warn you, you might find it extremely triggering. How is that? Why would you like... Why would you say that to someone? If you thought you were going to trigger someone, did he mean that as a joke? That's what I mean about men not bringing compassion or empathy to the table because so many times I've left conversations or interactions with men feeling pretty devastated about how I think they perceive me as a person, right? And that's an example of like that's just not really a nice thing to say or to send to somebody. And I don't think his intention was to be cruel. That's the weirdest part. It's strange. It's like he thinks it's all a joke. Or he thinks that it's, he just thinks it's all hypothetical. He thinks yeah. it's a hypothetical so I thought think, experiment. It's I mean, not. It's real life. And I, the way that I don't get bogged down by all of this is thinking about how much I love intersectional feminism mm. as a way to view the world. And I think that... Explain that concept for people who aren't aware. Intersectionality. There's many, many different waves and facets of feminism. Like any social movement, it's not a whole unified force, right? Mm -hmm. There's the overarching goal of gender equality, but there's been many iterations of feminism throughout time. Mm. And intersectionality was a concept that was pioneered by black feminists and activists and researchers kind of like in the 80s. So we got Bell Hooks and Angela Davis and a, the person who coined the term was Kimberly Crenshaw. She has an amazing TED talk. Anyway, intersectionality is like interrogating all the different pieces of a person's identity, their race, their class, their socioeconomic status, their gender that kind of form together and interrelate and overlap in someone's life, right? It's like the idea that my experience as a white woman is not going to be the same as a queer woman or mm -hmm. as the same as a black woman, mm. you know. It just, it makes me so happy because I'm like, wow, if we enacted so many of these ideas, the world would be a better place for men and for women and for people, you know, wherever you fall upon the gender spectrum. And it makes me so happy. And I'm like, oh my God, I love the legacy of where this movement has come from. And I love where it's going. And I think 
I don't know if men feel that that love and connection for what they believe in. It's very easy to say just like do your research and go and read The Will to Change by Bell Hooks or if you're a guy like try and, you know, research outside of your bubble because I don't step out of my bubble that often and my echo chamber that often. Like I try to be a well-rounded person, but it is really hard to like get your information from different sources. If there's one thing I wish I could communicate in this podcast, it's that if you bring compassion and empathy to your opinion and your perspective and something like an intersectional feminist viewpoint can resonate with you, it's going to show you a world that can be better because of these concepts of kindness and human flourishing. Like, doesn't that sound fantastic? I'm Sounds like, that, so isn't, that isn't a distant idea. We can live it. It sounds we so stupid. This, it sounds so stupid we and utopian. But it's such like it's such a beautiful concept from Bell Hooks. I have her little quote pinned in my notes app about how there's this version of society and reality that is available to some people who have a lot of privilege mm. that for some reason it seems like everybody else can't access. And it's like, well, some people already live that out. They have privilege and they have power. And it's like it is possible for everyone to have that reality if we try. And, yeah, I just feel I don't want our listeners who are already clued in to feel like we're pandering to men. But I do want to pander to men because I'm like, guys, get on board. Like, I don't want to shut you away into the broom closet. We can't do this alone, you know, and this is going to benefit you as well. Hello, I'm talking to you. This is going to benefit you as well. And I just think like one of the biggest problems, yes, that future is available to us, but one of the biggest problems I think is that men feel like they're going to have to give up so much in order to give women an equal footing in society. And like that may be true. I'm sorry, but if we want 50% of women in parliament, that means that 50% of men who are currently in parliament will be without a job. But the question is, what benefit is having those 50% of women in parliament going to bring? That's something that we struggled with. I think that I've struggled with the concept of collateral damage and do these social movements like Me Too or like, you know, the the modern iterations of feminism, there's always going to be collateral Collateral damage damage. that might be real human people. Mm. So that is real. I think it's also okay in conversations like this to, even though I have a strong opinion on a lot of things, there are some things that I haven't explored to the full extent of my own brain yet. Like to sit with that feeling and be like, wow, yeah, what does it mean for is cancel culture the best form of accountability that's going to erase gendered violence from society? Like there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered. Something that also comes up a lot is reflecting on how painful the journey of gender equality has been, and I don't just mean for women, but for all people, you know, for non-binary people and trans people, and it flows into, you know, racism and homophobia, all of that. Like these these journeys to social equality have been so painful because history, recent human history has been so brutal. Like I just, you don't want to rehash traumas, but every single woman you know has gone through things that I just really, 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 really hope as a man you never, ever, ever have to experience from the bottom of of my heart. Like you just would not. You wouldn't wish it on anyone. You wouldn't wish 
your worst experiences as a woman or even vicarious experiences like experiences of your close friends Mm. that you know have had, you would not wish those experiences on any man that you know. Yeah, when I talk to men about this, they seem disconnected from that reality maybe because they're not, they haven't swum in waters their whole life where it's like, I hope not, they haven't swum in waters where all their peers, like I'm talking about if you're a woman and you have lots of girlfriends or your mothers or your sisters or yourself, like everyone you know has been brutalised by not some concept of some patriarchal system but like by like individual men, like people that you know, people that like real human beings have hurt you. And it's just like that's what we're talking about. And I think in the discourse and this zeitgeist and everything politically now is so heightened and social media is so polarised, okay, we get all that, but it's like let's come back to the human feeling of pain and suffering that could be alleviated in a society where these structures don't squash people. It seems like the penny hasn't dropped for guys and men. I'm just like, what? How can you not feel that in your body? Like when you hear these statistics and when you hear these stories from people or you read an article about anything. A Me Too article. A Me Too article. How does your stomach not drop to the floor and you just think, oh, my God, that is sickening. I can't believe that this is the world that we live in. And I hope that you have that reaction. I really do. But I think I've just been shocked to find out recently that there seems to be this disconnect and I don't know how to fix it. And I really want to, I really want to end this episode, you know, on a positive note. And, you know, it's been pretty difficult to sit here and have this conversation about all these concepts that we have lived and breathed and experienced. And it's been draining and it's been difficult, but I really, really, really hope this hasn't made you feel too low. Lily and I are obviously going to put support resources in the show notes. So please go there if this has been difficult for you to listen to or if you're not feeling great. We love all of you. We really do. And everything that we say comes from a place of love. And all we're trying to do is just spread some optimism and positivity for men and women and everyone in between into this big, beautiful world so that we can all live happy, healthy, liberated lives. Is that too much to ask? I don't think it is because it's possible and we can get there if we are united, if we are united and do it with love in our hearts. So all we ask is that you have an open mind and move forward with love. Love.